The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead the Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey and uh, host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and I'm happy to be with you here today. Uh, I wanted to talk to you. I've been doing a series on women, as you probably know, if you've listened in to the last uh, couple of shows. And we're really focusing on how do you smash that glass ceiling once and for all? And clearly, we haven't done it. Um, Another recent article appeared in the mainline news media about now people really searching to get women on boards, particularly in the UK. Well, There are many, many qualified women out there who've had significant jobs, who have a high degree of education. I just met one today. Huge background in finance, would be great on any board. And it just seems surprising to me that we would have to work so hard to find great women who were eligible to contribute to boards. Research is showing that where women leaders are in significant roles in companies and on boards, those companies tend to do better overall. You know, the ceiling is not smashed, and that's really shocking. And I start to scratch my head. I get around in a lot of places, and the more women I see are going into non-public companies or starting their own companies and own businesses and not necessarily climbing the corporate ladder. And even today, I was with an organization, and less than 10% of the senior leadership team were women. Now, it's not because they don't have a lot of great women in the organization, or they can't find great women, but I think there's something more to this, and I think it has to do with bias. It's a subtle bias. It's kind of that unknown bias that you really don't think you have, but deep down you do. And I was reflecting on the Super Bowl over this weekend. Many of you probably saw it. Everybody loves to watch it for the ads, which ones they love, which ones they don't. I particularly was taken back and actually really liked the Super Bowl ad that highlighted women. And it started out with older people, sort of older, hmm, not that old, uh, 
depicting women in sports. And you see, this is a tape that has played for a very long time in all of our heads, that women are not good at sports. They don't know how to throw a ball. They run funny. They're not as aggressive. Uh, They're more effeminate about how they do things. And what I loved about that ad is it really pointed out that those tapes and those messages subtly play in everyone's mind, and they block our ability to really see how absolutely outstanding women are and have been over the centuries. Then they show a young girl depicting herself on how she can be in sports, and that's not her vision. She's aggressive in a good way. She jumps through hurdles. She really achieves. And those are the messages that we have to continue to send. I'm also looking at some of the breakthroughs that women are making in sports. You know, UConn, University of Connecticut, has one of the best women's basketball teams in the world. Top-notch athletes. And we're now starting to see young girls being on baseball teams, mixed baseball teams, who are leading the pack as pitchers. This is really encouraging, but I do think that there's an element of this bias that still exists. So I'm excited to have with me, I reached out to uh, Randall White, and it turns out Randall lives in the same community I do, which was very exciting. And so the reason I reached out to Randall White is Randall and his co-author, Ann Morrison, wrote the seminal book, really, that brought this issue squarely uh, in the forefront of leaders in the late 1980s called Breaking the Glass Ceiling. And it was promoted by research that was done by the Center for Creative Leadership, of which Randall, uh, a PhD and researcher, was part. And they did extensive research to write this book. They not only wrote one edition, they followed up about eight years later for a second edition to see what's changed. Now, Randall's a professor at, uh, in, in, in Paris, uh, at the Haute École Commerciale. And he sees a lot of young women from all parts of the world come through this program. And I thought it would be very interesting to ask Randall to join the show and to speak about what he's seen changed and what his perspective is. So with that, I'm going to welcome Randall. Welcome so much for joining the show, Randy. It was just a pleasure having coffee with you the other morning. Um, I'm just so excited that you could be here. Uh, Thank you, Linda. I'm delighted to be here, and I was delighted to listen to your introduction just now and scribbling notes. Um, It's nice to be here. Thank you. And by the way, I still do some teaching at Duke as well. So with your reference to the Yukon women, I wanted to say, and the Duke women too. And yes, and the Duke women too. And you know what? Women are getting more and more athletic scholarships. My granddaughters uh, are, and uh, you know there 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 are changes. You know we do have CEO women CEOs at Pepsi. 
Medco, Yahoo, HP, GM. I mean, these are big Fortune, Correct. you know, uh, right. 100 companies. Right. But, you know, these are relatively recent. That's so right. So let me ask you. Uh, there's clearly been progress made, as you and I both noted. Right. But what progress have you seen since you wrote this first book and, and, and updated it? What do you see going on out there? Slow. Slow. Yeah. Slow. And it depends. I imagine we could talk by industry or sector. I still, when we wrote the book in 1987, so what is that, 28 years ago now, um, there are a variety of things we could get into about why we wrote the book and, and how all that came to be, but there were just a few women in the Fortune 500 who were CEOs. There were a couple. And most of them got there as either co-heads or it was at one point a closely held company. And in a sense, and I want to do this in you know air quotes, they inherited the role and the company went public. And now the women have really earned it, but there are still only a few. Um, until the last few congressional and senatorial elections, there were a few. So we see we see women rising, but the the progress is slow. I'm reminded, I uh, as the guy, the male on the study of women, I've often been asked, so what have you seen, and why is change so difficult? And I used to have a little quote from Mark Twain, who said, "Habit is habit to be coaxed downstairs one step at a time." That's a great quote. Great and, quote. So why yeah. why is it that progress has been so slow from your, you know, well, from your point of view? I, you know, there are probably as many reasons as there are people that you could ask the question. You know, I hear some people say, well, it's the lack of people, lack of women in the STEM disciplines, in math and science and engineering. I happen to have two daughters. One's a PhD in molecular biology. So, come on. I, and the other is a, a psych and trauma nurse. They, they know plenty about science. There are plenty of women in science. And but I might add, at HP, where we had 330,000 employees, we had plenty of female engineers. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the pipeline and there's no track to the top. That's one thing for both men and women. There's no track. It's a trek. There is a role of luck and timing in everyone's career. There certainly are certain kinds of fundamental leadership experiences that, that a person needs to have to be considered a candidate for a top job. Fixing a business that's broken or turning it around, starting something new that the organization's never done before, managing you know, scale and scope of significance, more people, more functions, more geography, more money. We could go into that, but... But everyone needs those. I still remember in the mid to late 80s as we wrote this, women often described their career trek as when they got a big job, it was acting. It was an acting role, whereas the men got to do the job. They, they, they were let loose. They had the opportunity to really go and do some of these significant things, which engendered a, a, a vote of confidence from 
the stakeholders, the board members, the other senior executives. Women, when they got a leadership role, we, I, I often saw them in what I would call the velvet ghetto. They would be the head of HR, the head of investor relations, the head of, the head of something maybe not as central to the business. Now, I will say, there are more women, I, I think if you and I look, there are more women poised in, in really quite aligned functions of the business, and that's a good thing. But they're still not completely getting to the top, and that's where I cycle back to say, well, there are as many reasons as there are people to give those reasons of why not. That's a great point. Great insight. Okay. Um, we're moving into break right now. to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that have done right really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. As your business grows, are you growing with it? Do you have the right balance of time, attention, work, and personal life? Take the growing pains out of growth and tune into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. If you are spending most of your energy managing problems rather than focusing on taking your business to the next level, our program will give you the steps you need to make sure you have everything in place for forward-thinking business leadership. The Business Edge is heard every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Credit stressed? Need credit repair? The Federal Credit and Business Police, FTC, state they've never seen a legal credit repair clinic. Those so-called credit repair and debt negotiator illegals are not smart enough to get legal. What makes them smart enough to solve your credit problems? Hi, I'm Bruce Danielson, founder of First Stone Credit Council, the one company that is U.S. Treasury approved and competent to do credit file restoration. We're not collectors in disguise or consumer ripoff artists. In fact, First Stone 
Stone is a consumer advocate credit file restorer with a U.S. Treasury 501c3 nonprofit certification who has resolved thousands of credit problems over the last 18 plus years. First Stone can put you back on track to financial freedom and you can start right now by calling First Stone at 972-235-1188. That's 972-235-1188. Or check the website at firststone.com. That's F-I-R-S-T-S-T-O-N-E dot com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 or you can tweet the show at hashtag I lead TLC we'd also love to hear from you by email the email address is radio at lindasharkey.com now back to I lead the leadership connection Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey, and with me is Randall White, uh, co-author of uh, Breaking the Glass Ceiling. We had a few technical difficulties uh, in the early part of the show, but we're back on and back into a great conversation. Um, Randy, tell me something. When when we talked, you talked about, you know, work-life balance and that being a, a key issue, and you had some interesting perspective around that. For women, you, you want to share that? I thought right. it was really great. One, one of the one of the things that I, of course, uh, our friend Jack Welch, who often gets himself in trouble, I think about right. three or four summers ago, made a comment. Um, he said something about uh, anybody who's worried about work life balance. I'm not worried about them taking my job, and it was a very ham handed way a very poor way of really introducing a piece of the conversation that I think every leader has to have with, with his or her partner, spouse, the people around them, the people that you and I meet every day that, that are great concert violinists um, or a great pianist or a great flautist or a great golfer, a great basketball player, or a great corporate executive are, have some flat sides. They've overdeveloped something. They love that something. They have a passion for that something. The notion of work-life balance doesn't really exist in the way that we, we love to make it exist in our conversational life, in our idolized life. And I think that Jack wasn't very good at saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. Do you understand what it really takes to lead in a large global corporation? Do you understand the give-ups and the sacrifices that our various stakeholders will probably ask of you? And if you're so worried about keeping everything completely balanced, that's probably not a realistic way to approach this. If you want to be the best at something, and we want the best, um, then you're going to have some flat sides. Now, please, Linda, 
don't don't misunderstand. I hope others don't misunderstand. I'm not saying, oh, well, you should just have this one side of yourself. We know that's not good either. But in order to lead others, it does require, it does take some great sacrifice. And that's true if you want to be the best at anything. And being the best at leadership is just like being the best at anything else. And I think that's really true. And one of the things we talked about is, you know, what are the trade-offs that you're willing to make in order to pursue your passion? Because I know that, you know, I, I had a boss at one time said to me, you know, I'm not asking you to be here, you know, this, this amount of time. It's, you know, I was doing it because I loved what I did. And so I think, you know, being really clear on what those trade-offs are going to be and being willing to make them. I mean, what's your thoughts about that? I think that that's really, that's really key. Several of the women in our original interview sample, mm-hmm. actually, they and their partner, spouse, partner, um, openly, I mean, it, was a, it, was a, it wasn't a bone of contention. It was an open, honest, set of conversations, dialogues about who would stay home or how we would do things. And yes, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't perfect. Many of the women, I was impressed in 1987. And then when we re-interviewed, and I still hear this in my classes, if the woman has the better career trajectory, then the guy will make sacrifices for the children, if they have them, or will take a a, a, a a career that maybe a career path that's more flexible. I I do wonder, even in 2015, are two high-powered careers with children and all the things that go with children possible today? I think that's a fair dialogue. I think that's a fair yep. question. But, but I think so too, uh, Randy. And I have noticed a very specific trend that more and more men are staying home with yeah, their children. I agree. And the and the woman is the primary breadwinner of of the household. And I'm not saying it's a uh, you know it's a, it's the primary way that things are going, but it is definitely a trend. And I'm seeing a little reverse bias there. People yeah, I, being biased against men who decide to opt to stay home. Right. Aren't you man enough? I see, exactly. it, I see it in my executive MBAs. But, but before we go just on the, the bias towards the men, could we go back to one thing? You said sure. a while ago that, that you, you see some subtle bias. And I, I have various um, colleagues who write about unconscious bias and how we're all unconsciously biased. The way that plays out sometimes for women in career development is we don't ask her if she'd like to take the temporary assignment. We don't ask her if she's willing to go to pick a place, go to Africa, go to Europe, go to somewhere, and go fix a business. We sometimes, at least in my understanding and thinking, we sometimes make the presumption she can't do it, so we'll ask the guy. And that rules some women out of really getting leadership challenges that would help to further them in their own development for these top jobs. And yeah, round the, them out. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I just want to... 
say to you, I have personally witnessed that where I, you know, I did talent management for, you know, three Fortune 50 companies. And I can't tell you how many times that a woman's name would come up and they wouldn't even ask her if she wants the job. The assumption was she'd never take it. Right. So they, they never even offered. And so now we've just, now we've precluded this discussion. We haven't given her a chance. She doesn't know that that's an important step in development, and she doesn't get the shot at it. And I believe when we waste the development of that talent, that's a real waste. That's a real waste. waste. It is a real waste. You know, I want to go back to something else. Uh, So so part of that is our own bias and blindness and not asking women, but, you know, two high-powered people, that is a tough. Yeah. But I have been in women's uh, groups, you know, where people, women are talking about careers, and I've seen younger women sit and listen to a high-powered woman who has a very high-powered husband talking about how she got to the top. And the other women sitting in the audience are saying, yeah, but, you know, I don't make that kind of money where I can have a 24-7 nanny with my kids, right. uh, have somebody cook dinner for me every night. Right. can call home, and, and so there is a disadvantage. If you're at the top, and the two of you are at the top, it's much easier to afford the infrastructure that you need to make that work yes. than if you're in the middle of the pack trying to get up there. Right. Well, there, thoughts and comments there about no, that? There's no question. And, I, yes, you can purchase help. And... Um, I'm, I'm still struck, it's funny when you were saying that, I'm still struck by a, a woman who's still very visible and she was at a large financial services firm when this came up. She, she didn't have help like that, but she did have some help for her two children. And some of her earliest leadership learnings, leadership lessons, was how to motivate the person that she was leaving her children with on a daily basis, that even yeah. in, the man, in the juggling of the balls in the, or a spinning of plates or whatever analog you want to use, in the, in, the, in the trying to motivate these people, she realized that she was creating a climate for her children's growth just like she was creating a climate for the people who worked for for her and with her, their growth. And that was a big lesson to her. So while I will admit that, yes, when you're at the top and you have huge salaries and you can purchase all of these things, that sometimes people had, they often, not sometimes, they often had to make do spreading the resources that they did have and making them work and cobbling together a life, which again was messy, wasn't always easy, but they learned some valuable, some developmental lessons from that experience. And, and uh, they were resourceful. <laughs> that's right. And resourcefulness is, it doesn't mean you multitask. I don't want to go there. It means you're resourceful and that you figure out some ways and that the, and that the leadership role that you have in the organization is important enough that you'll figure out ways to make it happen. Yeah, you know, it's sort of that pragmatic flexibility. We did some research on, uh, uh, for one of the books that I wrote, uh, on, on what makes a great global leader. 
And interestingly enough, it was neutral relative to women and men. Uh, women and men who were great at it both had the same characteristic, but they were pragmatically flexible. Yeah. They were able to adjust and juggle, uh, not multitask, but they were able to really make sense out of chaos and right. make things work for themselves no matter where they were in the world. That's so right. That's a great point. One organization, and you may have experienced this yourself. Let's build on that. One mm-hmm. organization used to place, now I'm not recommending this, please, mm-hmm. used to place women who were developing with, with bosses who were seen as pretty terrible, difficult to deal with, bad bosses. Bad bosses teach in, in organizational life, they teach a lot of lessons about what not to do. And this particular organization used to knowingly place some developing women in tough situations with tough bosses to see how they would handle that. Your notion of this pragmatic flexibility, how would they deal with it? Now, again, I'm not recommending it, but this organization seemed to like doing that, something they did for development. Yeah, that's a a hardball (laughs) development approach. I I, I wouldn't recommend it either, though I have to tell you, I've had some pretty crummy bosses in my career, and you you just kind of had to kind of figure out your way around it. And I often say to people that I coach, you know, you learn a lot from people that are really not good. You learn what not to do and how to do it differently. I want to switch a little bit here, Um, Randy. You know, you teach at HEC, a a very uh, prominent uh, university in um, Paris, and, you know, you have a lot of students that come through, and, you know, we all know that 50% of the workforce, available workforce is women, and the educated workforce is women, and what are you seeing uh, in their aspirations relative to their careers that may change this uh, equation and help women really be able to achieve their aspirations. What are you seeing their wants and needs? A lot said about the millennials, and, you know, what are you seeing? No, I, I, these executive MBAs, in fact, I'm leaving tomorrow to go back to Paris to teach. Um, they're hard, they're hardworking, self-sacrificing, you know, I see the same things. I, I sometimes fear we are making too much out of what a millennials want. I do believe we are, just as women gave permission in my classroom for men to talk about deeper issues, for years I never heard men talk about, I don't know if I want the next level up. I don't know if I want those stresses. I don't know. Women would say that in our classroom. That gave permission for the men to become more honest with themselves and more honest at putting that out there. I also believe today people are more honest about understanding what it takes um, to make it. I know that the women in my classroom want the opportunity. They want the chance. Now, I have to tell you, I, I teach in Paris and in Doha, Shanghai, Beijing. I teach other parts of the world, but I see MBAs primarily in those places in New York and, and London. And... What I will tell you is that not in every geography do I have an equal number of women. Um, uh, In some geographies, I have many women in the class. In other geographies, what I want to tell you is I have a much limited, more limited set of women. 
but the women, no matter whether they're eight in a class of 50 or it's 50-50, um, the women want a chance. One of the most interesting things that happened, I think it was last year, I had a woman from an Asian company, a very large company that everybody listening to the show would know, and she stood up to tell a story about how she had been excluded from the opportunity to lead, and that a boss had, she, was, she had tears. I mean, she was, this was a very emotional moment because we had been talking about executive careers. We had used a case about somebody who had failed. and There was a special boss, which is often the case. A boss yeah. gets it. There was a special boss who saw in her the opportunity, the brilliance, the strategic thought, saw what she had, and that she was in this executive MBA because of him and because he was continuing to mentor her and because he was continuing to try to find global assignments where she could develop because she believed, he believed in her. And now whether it's a guy who has his own daughters and they went to law school and then were told to fetch a cup of coffee, I... You know, I don't know. That, that was the old story. It was, the guys who got it had daughters, and then when they graduated from professional school, really got it. But this guy believed, and he believed, I guess, in the power of diversity and believed in this person, and, and she was speaking for all the women in the class. Yeah. You know, I, I have to tell you, in, in, in my case, and I've said this before, I, you know, this is not about men uh, being villains and, you know, excluding women. There are many men. I had a mentor in uh, my second job out of college, um, and he, exactly that. I used to show up for meetings and, you know, took an extra interest, in, and and he gave me exposure to things that I never would have had an opportunity for. And, right. and that, was, that was really great. I want to just ask you, Randall, um, from your point of view, what is a, a best practice company? Oh, let me just go back and summarize here. What I hear you saying is there's a shift here, and maybe we're able to have more honest conversations, both men and women, on what we want out of the workplace so that everybody can achieve what they want. I don't know. I, I think it's equalizing out a little bit in that direction. Right. I I think that organizations that get it understand that talent doesn't come packaged as white and male, six feet, one and a half inches tall, or in metric 180 or more. It comes packaged in a lot of ways. Organizations are getting it when they see the baby boomers retire and people walk out the door with organizational knowledge and relationships. We have to invest more widely in people in everyone who learns. Learners are a competitive advantage in every organization. And learning doesn't know gender. It doesn't know gender. gender. And and also uh, inclusion as we become more global is going to be essential. And if you can't look at the value of all people, regardless of where they hail from, what color they are, what religion they have... You're going to be in trouble in attracting the talent you need. I would love for you to come to my specialized master's program in Doha, where I would love to half do it. of the I would, I, I will the be in Dubai, by women. the way. 
uh, yeah, uh, uh, um, in an co- upcoming conference talking about learning and talent and how you build this into the system. We're going to come up to break uh, very shortly, um, Randall, but Randy, but what I'd like to ask you, give me a company that's the best practice in your mind. Oh, I knew you were going to do that to me. A company that has the best practice. I think that, uh, I guess it's one of the sponsors of this. I think that PwC has a best practice. I think they, they look widely um, for talent and uh, for partner development. They give, they give assignments across uh, a wide variety of people without regard to a lot of the kinds of ethnic demographic factors that we're talking about. They're looking for people who want to lead, and they want to give people the opportunity to lead. So you're seeing partner classes uh, come up in PwC who are broad, much more broadly representative than they used to be of the way society looks. They're not perfect, but they're getting there. And one more thing. Once you become a partner, there is a development ideal for broadening those partners so that you get, again, a wide array of partner characteristics who become lead, what I'd call lead partners or engagement partners. And so they're trying to cast the net much more broadly. And it's, t- it's taken years to get to this point, which takes us back to the notion it takes a long time to change this. But I want to say they're, they're working very hard to find agile learning partners, and they understand that that's, that, that encompasses both men and women. That, I, I totally agree. I do some work with PwC, and I, I, I think the, the effort that they put in into developing diverse talent is uh, world-class. I really do. And I also have to put in a word for my own, one of my alma maters, the GE. I think that they do, regardless of your Jack Welch comment, I think they put their money where their mouth is when it comes to uh, really advancing diversity and, and advancing women. Before we go to break, Randall, I want to ask you one uh, other question. Sure. What three pieces of advice do you have for women? If, if you were, were three things you were going to say to somebody, you know, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to think about, what would it be? First is a mindset. If you really want to do this, you're really going to have to invest in it. Um, you're really going to have to work hard at it. The, the battle is not won. The glass ceiling is not broken. You have just as much difficulty as anybody who came before you. Second, get broad experience. There's no, there's no track to the top. It's a trek, and it's full of twists and turns. Prepare to learn at every stage and prepare to learn in areas that are unfamiliar to you. We're looking for generalists. We're looking for people who can leave their specialty area and they have leadership skill that crosses silos. In biology speak, it's fungible leadership talent. They can lead in a variety of situations. Test yourself broadly. Last, don't take yourself too seriously. Be quick with a laugh. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I, I love that get out of your comfort zone. We did a study at Hewlett Packard around uh, 
what made really great leaders. And, and one of the elements of everyone that was considered to be world-class leader was that they got broad experience and they took themselves out of their comfort zone either by going into another function, by going to another company, by going right. to another country. Right. And it really made a difference. It really does. It really made a difference. And I, well, and Randall, I, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, and I think, you know, along with the humor, it's this notion of optimism. You know, it's interesting. The higher you go, the more optimistic you are, but the more optimistic you are, the higher you go. Yeah, and, and I love the humor. Well, we're coming up on, on break, Randall. It was a delight. Uh, I will definitely see you again. I, I love the idea of Doha, and, uh, you know, I'm going to Dubai uh, for a conference run by Informa very shortly to talk about leadership and, and talent issues, and he's um, given me a lot to, to, to talk with. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Do you know your personal brand? You may have the idea, but do you really know how to execute it and perfect it? Join Kathy Bass, the branding lady, for an inside look at the world of branding on her show, Power Up Branding. Kathy and her guests will discuss the many facets of branding, including tips to help you rebrand or bring your brand to the next level. Power Up Branding can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get a plan. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to iLead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. That's one eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag #ILeadTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to iLead, the Leadership Connection. Hi, I'm Linda Sharkey. Uh host of I Lead the Leadership Connection, and I just had a great conversation with Randall White, Dr. Randall White, who was the initial co-author of Breaking the Glass Ceiling and a professor from Duke University and HEC in Paris. And, uh, you know, some really straight talk. Randall gave us some really great straight talk, and I think the advice he said was, was very important. And here are some things I'm going to share with you from my own experience. You know, we did a scientific study, and, you know, the women 
stood out equally as men in really being best best leaders, where we were able to study them. And they were able to drive business results that were uh, way surpassed many of their colleagues. And part of the reason why they were able to do that is they did two things. They spent more time focusing on their talent. They also were big communicators. They helped people see where things were going. They helped engage people. They helped share what was in it for their workforce. And they were very personable, memorable, and engaging. The other thing that they did was they were strategic. They had a talent focus, but they were also strategic, and they were also extremely flexible. They were not the kind of people that used a cookie-cutter approach and had one-size-fits-all. So if you're an organization and you're trying to figure out, how do I build more diversity into my talent process, into my talent pipeline? How do I gain uh, access to this great talent pool that's out there in a real concrete way? Here are three things that you, you, you need to do. One, you need to focus on it. And I don't mean focus on it by setting a standard yet to hire 30, 30% women or whatever the country norm is. Those techniques have been proven not to move the needle. You have to focus on inclusion and diversity in women in your talent management processes. And you have to look at and know who are the top 100 women in your organization that are top performers that can really move to the next level. And then you have to make a pathway to get them to the next level. But if you can't even ask the question, who are your best women? You're missing the mark. And I ask that question in a lot of companies, and it's like I have deer in the headlights. Examine your policies. Do you have policies that are antiquated and not geared towards inclusion of others? Are you using selection criteria that are unnecessary and are exclusionary? Are they selection criteria that aren't really essential for that job or just what you believe are essential for that job? And if you don't have in your hip pocket the three to five women that you're going to move forward, then you've missed the mark. Now, for women, what do you need to do? You need to keep pushing. Define your aspirations. What is your aspiration? Where do you want to be? And... How can you get there? Analyze. Do a, do a plus-minus analysis. What's it going to take from a work-life balance perspective for you to achieve that aspiration? And are you and your significant other, whoever that may be, are you willing to make those trade-offs? And what's your tolerance level? And if it's not there, then maybe you've selected the wrong aspiration. Now, you're talking to somebody that does believe that you can have it all. And I do believe that. I always had a five-year goal, and I always looked at where I was going to be in that five years. And I always mapped out my steps. Now, I'm not saying anybody, everybody should do that, but I am saying that you need to know where you're headed, and you need to know what it's going to take to get there. 
And you need to be prepared along with your family to make those changes and steps. And the final thing is speak up. Ask for that next role. Look for the experiences that you're going to need. Sometimes take lateral moves. Sometimes move to another company. Because I find, you know, that companies get a view and a perspective on somebody. And once they have that, it's often hard to change it. So I think you need to look at, you know, where are some of the next roles and raise your hand for it. So with that, I'd like to tell you what my next show is going to be. One, before I do that, I'd like to ask any women out there that are listening to this show, send me an email. I'd love to hear your stories. My next show is with Chris Yee. He's a venture capitalist, author, uh, co-author of Alliance with CEO uh, Reed Hoffman, CEO of LinkedIn. And he and Reed, along with Ben Kaznocha, uh, have written a wonderful book called The Alliance. And what I love about this book is that now we're starting to look at how are businesses changing and how are the dynamics of, to overuse this word, but millennials and technology and all of these other things influencing how we have to lead and how we have to think differently. And he's suggesting, and they're suggesting in their book, that there needs to be a new alliance and a new partnership to build loyalty and trust that the social contract has changed. And we're going to be spending time talking about that next week with Chris Yee. I'm very excited to have Chris uh, join us. Um, You know, one of the things that he says is that you can build, rebuild the lost trust with straight talk that recognizes the realities of the modern economy. And the economy has changed. So paradoxically, the alliance begins with managers acknowledging that great employees might leave the company and with employees being honest about their own career aspirations. And I'm going to underscore that career aspiration piece. If you don't know the career aspirations of your employees, you're never going to be able to help them get there. And that's part of your job as a leader, is to help your employees achieve their aspirations. And if you do that, and you create situations where people have, as the Alliance calls, tours of duty, and then you help somebody get the next tour of duty, you will find that you have a loyal friend, no matter where they're working. And at some point, interestingly enough, that is going to pay off for you. And I can't tell you how many people that I have worked with over my career, and it, it, it's quite rewarding, who come back and do uh, reach out to me because I help them get to where they wanted to be from a professional standpoint. And you can do it too. So join me next week with Chris Yee, um, annual investor, uh, great guy, and learn the strategies for the modern workplace. So thanks very much. Uh, please tweet me at ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. Send me an email, radiolindasharkey.com, and tell me your stories. I'd love to hear them. Thanks so much for being with me, and I look forward to speaking with you next week.
Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. We'll be right back.